What's up, Porch? How we doing? Let's go. How we doing? We doing good? You know, that seems like the appropriate question to ask whenever I get up here, just to amass a massive amount of applause and cheering and ruckus accord, but like, really, how are you doing tonight? Good, yeah, good, blessed, stressed, coming from work. I don't know about you, I was just sitting over there and, uh, and I just felt like anxious, man. And uh, it's probably because I'm speeding into tonight. Like I feel like I've been steamrolling all day and I'm racing into this evening. And, and I just had this moment where as I was sitting there, it just felt like the Lord was asking me to just, hey, just take a breath, like calm down, slow down. I don't know about you. I don't know where you're coming from. Maybe you're walking in and you're like, dude, I have been like in step with the spirit all day. I feel amazing. Um, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I haven't been able to shut off work. I'm still thinking about what's coming up tomorrow. I, I, didn't, I didn't really engage. I didn't feel any sort of emotion over the course of those last three songs. If, if that's you, that was me. And I just want to tell you, you haven't missed it yet. Like God has something for you tonight. We genuinely believe that every person that walks into this room, God has brought you here very specifically, whether you know him or not. Our genuine belief is, is no one is in this room by accident. So we're really glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. We believe that God wants to do something in your life tonight. And we also think that God's doing things all over the nation. And so I want to give a special shout out to some Porch Live locations that are tuning in with us tonight. I want to say hey to Fresno, to Atlanta, and to Scottsdale. God is doing a good thing here, but he's doing a good thing there. And so we thank y'all for tuning in and being a part of what God is doing through the porch. Friends, we've been in a series called Ins and Outs. And the entire purpose of this series is to ask the question, do my goals align with God's will? And what we realized as we were looking through the research and we were parsing through the data is, by and large, we have three goals. Our generation, whether you're Gen Z or you're millennial, the young adults of the world have said, there are three things we want. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be self fulfilled and we want to be self-accepted. These are the things that we have said are in for 2024. I don't know what you've been thinking, but this is what the other young adults in the room have said is true of themselves. They have voted this is the case. The last two weeks, we've talked about why self-fulfillment and self-sufficiency are actually out and God has something else in for us instead. Tonight, we're gonna be talking about why self-acceptance is out according to the will of God. And to help us unpack that idea, we have a very special friend in the room with us tonight. We have Mr. Nate Hilgenkamp. Give him a round of applause, everybody. Nate is the teaching pastor at Harris Creek in Waco. He's also one of the co-hosts on the Becoming Something podcast. He's a dear friend of my own. And, uh, and here's what you need to know about Nate. He's gonna crush it up here. But as great, great as he is up here, he's even better on the floor. He is an incredible communicator of God's will, but he is also, he's a great example of Christ's likeness. And so we are thrilled, honored to have you here with us, bro. So friends, do it one more time. Give Nate Hilgenkamp a round of applause as he comes to the stage. Love you, brother. Love you, buddy. Love you. Well, those are some kind words about me, but who cares about me? I'm going home after tonight. L let me tell you a little bit about your guy, Kylan. 
I know you just kind of got to meet him a couple of weeks ago. I've got to know him for a little bit longer than that. So let me just tell you a little bit about who he is. I want to tell you about three things. The, the first is this. And he kind of took the words out of my mouth. He is much better off the stage than he is on the stage. He can preach the lights out, but he's a far better minister just in front of people one-on-one. -on -one. I've seen him do an amazing job counseling young adults year after year off the stage, not just on the stage. Se secondly, I've got to process some things with him in my life, some, some things that maybe haven't gone how we expected them to go, and he's always driven me to faith. He's always driven me to trust in Jesus. He he's a man of deep faith. And then thirdly, I've got to see him lead uh, huddles before every single young adult event I've got to do with him, and every single one of those huddles is fueled by prayer. So, so three things about Kylan that you need to know. He's a better person off the stage than on the stage. He's a man of great faith, and he's a man of great prayer. And I cannot think of a better person to lead the porch for the next 40 years. Is that what you told me? 40 years. He's committing to 40 years. He's going to do an amazing job. Yeah. Well, well I, I just wanted to start tonight by, by telling you I, I, uh, I worked at church in, in Waco, Texas, and for seven years I, uh, I was the, the, the college pastor there which meant I really did one thing with my job because Baylor University is located on this side. There we go. Oh, man, that makes me so happy. Uh, on this side of 35 and right on the other side of 35 is a Chick-fil-A, which was essentially my office for seven years. I, I was there about three or four times a week just meeting with college students. And, and one day I went in like I do nearly every other day and go up and place my order, the spicy chicken sandwich meal with, with a Coke Zero, and uh, didn't really think anything of it. But, but once I stood in line and got up to the counter, uh, there was like this teenage kid who was, who was working there, and, and he was just very excited to be working at Chick-fil-A that day. And, uh, and he saw me, and he goes, Ben, it's so good to see you today. Can I take your order? Uh, and again, my name's Nate, not Ben. So, so in that moment, I'm like, okay, what, what, what am I going to do? Do I, do I correct him or not? And I'm like, this guy's a teenager. He's a high schooler. He's just happy to be here. He doesn't really know me, but he thinks he knows me, so I'm just going to roll with it. So I place my order, sit back down, don't think anything of it. Show back again. I don't know if it was the next day or the day after that. And uh, I walk in the doors and realize that he's working again. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, please do not let me go to his register. Uh, I stand in the line and get to his register, and he goes, Ben! It's so good to see you. So glad you're back. What can I get for you today? And at that point, I'm like in it too deep. <laughs> I, I can't correct him now. So at that point, I'm just like, I guess whenever I step in these walls, I am Ben now. So I kid you not, and I, I, I still cannot believe I did this. For the next few months, whenever I would go to Chick-fil-A, whether it was him or someone else, I'd say, yeah, my name is Ben. <laughs> and uh, one day I was sadly going through the drive-thru by myself and... Uh, and yeah, they were standing there with the iPad and it wasn't this guy, it was someone else. And he goes, okay, and what's your name? And I just said, hey, my name's Ben. And, I, I, and, then, and then I get up to the drive-through window and my nightmare happened. One of my friends was working and, and he, goes, he goes, Nate, I am so sorry. Like this typically doesn't happen, you know, we're Chick-fil-A, but, but we lost your order. Uh, what, what, what can I make for you? We'll do it really, really fast, I promise. And I said, you know what? <laughs> do you by chance have an order for Ben? And he goes, yeah, it's the next one. Why? I go, I, I accidentally said my name was Ben. <laughs> yeah. And he just like took the bag and handed it to me. It was like, what in the world is going on? And I'll never forget leaving Chick-fil-A that day. As I was leaving, I was like 
for the rest of my life, whenever I go into that Chick-fil-A, I'm no longer Ben. I'm gonna walk in with my chest out and say, I am Nate Hilgenkamp, thank you very much, because that teenage kid had no right to rename me. <laughs> and that is a ridiculous story. It's a 100% true story. And I bet you don't have that story. <laughs> but I bet your story might look a little bit similar to it. Because I bet you've been renamed. I don't know who it's been for you, but, but maybe growing up, your mom told you one day, you know, you're just not really as pretty as the other girls in your class. Oh, yeah, right. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that's happened to some of you. It has. And, and, and in the back of your mind, from that day moving forward for years now, you feel like you've been renamed as, I'm just not very pretty. Or, or maybe some of you, you, you've been renamed by a boyfriend. You were dating for a while and eventually you broke up and he said, you know, whenever we're together, I just don't really enjoy my time with you. And so from that moment on, you've just gone by the name unenjoyable. Or, or maybe you've let a sin rename you, whether it be lust or, or uh, drinking too much or, or cynicism. You've just let this sin grow in your heart and in your mind. And in the back of your mind, it has renamed you as damaged goods. Or maybe you've had a teacher rename you or a coach rename you or a boss rename you and say, you know, you're just not really as good as everyone else. And, and in the back of your mind, your name is now unsuccessful. And you've been carrying around a name for far too long. And you've allowed someone to rename you who has no right to rename you. Now, some of you know that. You know that other people don't have the power to rename you. So, so you've decided to take it within your own power to rename you. You've, you've got these daily affirmations, these, these things you want to speak over your life, that you want to manifest into your life. So you've decided that you want your name to be something like, I am successful or I am attractive, or I am wanted. And day after day, you're telling yourself this, you're, you're trying to rename yourself, you're trying to manifest it into your life, and I just want you to know something. If that's you, you are taking a name from someone who has no power to rename you, because they can't rename you, your sin can't rename you, and you can't rename you. There's only one person who can name you, and that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. Who has God named you to be, and what? Does that mean for your life? What we're going to talk about that what is out is self-image self or self-acceptance, who, who you view yourself to be, and, and what is in is God's acceptance and God's image, who's, who he has declared you to be. And we're going to take a look at that in Scripture in 1 Peter. So if you've, got, if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter just to give you some help. It's right before 2 Peter. Find 2 Peter <laughs> and then just flip right before and you'll be right there. And, and there's a lot of different places in Scripture where we can go to look at what God has named us. But I want to go here because, man, this is a name I haven't really thought a whole lot before I, I studied this text. And this is a name that has just absolutely gripped me. And just some, some setup on, on 1 Peter. It was written during a time of immense persecution for the church. It was written by Peter, and it was written during a time when Nero was the, the emperor of Rome. If, if you don't know anything about Nero, he was an incredibly depraved man, an evil, evil man. I could tell you a number of stories. Here's potentially one of the worst. He, he was married to someone, and then, then he actually killed her. Um, historians believe that he beat her to death. 
shortly thereafter, he saw a young boy who he thought looked like his now deceased wife. So he took that boy, castrated that boy, married that boy, and made him dress up like his ex-wife. Like, like it's evil stuff. Evil stuff. Here, here's another. You maybe heard of the great fire of, Nor- of Rome. That was, historians believe, likely started by Nero himself. As the emperor, he set ablaze the entire city of Rome, and it actually set 75% of the city on fire. And he did it because he wanted to rebuild the city however he saw fit. Now, once the fire had been put out, he needed someone to blame. And he had a people group that he did not like very much. So he decided to blame the great fire of Rome on Christians. And from that moment on, he began the systematic massacre of Christians. Some were killed uh, by, by animals. Some were lifted up on crosses to die, while, while others were lifted up on poles and lit a flame at night to serve as lamps to the city of Rome. True story. Now, now this is what's going on when Peter wrote this book. Th- this is what's happening to the church, that they're being persecuted immensely. So what Peter's gonna say is the only way you're gonna make it through this persecution, the only way you're gonna make it through this pain is if you know two things. If you know who you are and what that means for you. And one of the reasons why I wanted to teach First Peter is because the trend is not our friend in American culture today. American culture is not drifting more and more towards Christianity, but it's drifting more and more towards hostility towards Christianity. And while we are not where they were at the time of this writing, we're getting closer and closer. And the only way you're going to make it through that is if you know two things. is if you know who you are and what that means for you. So that's what I'm going to try to answer tonight. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verse 1. Peter writes this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, all of that is is in what is now today's modern Turkey. Now, this next verse, I don't know another verse that more completely and accurately describes the Trinity. Check, Check this out. It says this. Those of you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Okay, so by my count, there, there's three names that Peter gives us here. Uh, elect, chosen, and exiles. Now, what's interesting to me, maybe it's interesting to you, two of those names are really similar, elect and chosen, while the other is very different, the, the name exile. And what I find fascinating is, is right there in verse 1, he, he, he brings the two together. This is what he says. He, he says that he's writing to the elect exiles, to the chosen, unchosen ones. And this is the first thing we can learn tonight. This is what you've been named. Point number one. In Jesus, we are elect exiles. We're elect exiles. Now, now, how can we be both of those names at once? Like, like th- that doesn't really make sense. Those, those two names mean two very different things. How can we be those two names at the same time? Well, let, let me break down that name by breaking down both of those words. Let's, let's start by talking about elect or chosen. And I want, I want to explain that word by, by telling you about one of my favorite moments I had while I was dating my, my now wife, Adelie, in college. Whenever we were just dating, um, we were... Uh, 
for those of you that went to Baylor or been in Waco, we were driving down uh, the street called Valley Mills, which is kind of this, this street that just kind of cuts through the heart of the city. And it was a very normal day, but I will never forget where I was when this happened because we were at a stoplight headed back to school and uh, I'm just looking over at my girlfriend, talking with her, enjoying being with her. And as I'm talking with her, I realize out of the corner of my eye that the, the car next to us is not very happy with me. Like, like she's in this car and she's screaming at me, going like this, doing everything she possibly can do to get my attention until eventually she opens her car door. She doesn't even roll down her window. I assume because she can't, but she just opens up her window, gets out of her car and is screaming at me like this. So being the man in the relationship, I, I rolled down the passenger window so <laughs> my wife could take the first blow. And I'm assuming I'm about to get in a fight, and I just look over at her, and she's screaming, making a scene. She's going, hey, 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 hey. And I, I roll down the window, and she goes, son, I have never seen a man look at a woman the way you're looking at that girl. And if you don't put a ring on her finger, you've lost your mind. <laughs> yeah. That can only happen in Waco. <laughs> I mean, Truly. And I love that story because it's like, I remember how I felt when I was dating Adelie Lambert. I was like, I cannot believe she chose me. Like, like I didn't have a whole lot to offer at Baylor. I wasn't in a fraternity. I was a religion major. Like, didn't really have a path to make a whole lot of money. Like, there wasn't a whole lot going for me. And she chose me. So whenever we were with her, whenever I was with her, I was like, I cannot believe that I get to be with Adelie Lambert. I cannot believe that she chose me. You know, in your relationship with God, you've probably been told, you know, you, know, you need to be with God. And you do, but you've got a lot going on. You've got a lot of chaos in your life. And so in the chaos of your life, maybe you wake up and you just keep telling yourself, okay, Today, I want to choose Jesus today. I want to choose Jesus today. I want to choose Jesus today. I just want you to know, if that's your thinking in this relationship, you've got the dynamics all messed, all messed up. Because it's not, okay, today I have to choose Jesus. It's instead, I cannot believe that he chose me. This is what Peter is writing to the church. He's going, guys, the God of the universe has chosen you. Jesus, the savior of the world, wants you. Your father so deeply loves you that he sent his son to live for you. He sent him to be crucified for you. He sent him to die for you. He sent him to resurrect for you. And I don't know about you, but I didn't have a whole lot to offer to God. All I had done is run from his presence, throw myself in a pit and cover myself in shame and godlessness and arrogance and lust and a whole host of other sins. And God saw me in the midst of that pit and said, I want that one. And it's like, you want that one? Like, 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 like the runt of the litter, you want that one? And God's going, yes, I want that one. I want him, I want her, I choose them. And you see, when we were lost, God found us. When we were dirty, our God cleansed us. And when we were dead, our God raised us. Why? Because he wants you. 
And this is the, the first part of this name, elect exiles. Friends, he's chosen you. Out of the crowd, he wants you, not because you have anything to offer, but because it's his desire to have a relationship with you. So that's the first part of the passage, elect or chosen. How can the other part be exile? How are we the elect exiles? Well, well, here's what ends up happening. Whenever you realize that you're chosen by God, this world is going to start to not choose you. Because whenever you feel at home in God's presence, you're just not going to feel at home here. And, and that, that word exile here in the, this passage, it, it can also be translated as foreigner. So what Peter's trying to describe to the church is he, he's saying what you should feel is that feeling is if, if you've ever been out of the country, you've gone to a faraway country, you get off the plane, you, you walk off the airport, and you're just like hit with a whole lot of different. Like, like you don't really understand the language that people are speaking. You don't understand the food that people are eating. You don't understand where everyone's trying to get to because you don't really know where anything is. You just kind of feel lost there. What Peter's saying here is he's saying that's how we should feel as believers on this earth. We should frequently feel lost here because our home is not here. And it's not just Peter that says this, but Paul says this elsewhere in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says our citizenship is in heaven because we're just foreigners here. So we, we should not understand the language of this world. We should not understand the way people speak. We, we should not understand what this world consumes, be it, be it alcohol or entertainment or drugs. We shouldn't understand what the world consumes. We shouldn't understand where the world's trying to get to, whether they're trying to climb the, the ladder at their career, whether they're trying to get into a certain, certain neighborhood or whether they're trying to get into a certain social status. We shouldn't understand what everyone's trying to do here because here is not our home. We should feel lost here. Because when we're foreigners here, we don't do as the world does. And when we don't do as the world does, this world will treat you like outcasts. This world will look at you and it will treat you like an absolute loser. This world will look at you and tell you that you are unwanted. This world will look at you and tell you that you are unenjoyable. This world will look at you and tell you that you are unsuccessful. And that's okay because we're not living for their approval, we're living from his approval. Because we're the elect exiles for crying out loud. We're chosen by him, so we know we're not gonna be chosen by this world. So, so whenever you look at the world and, and the decisions that they make, it, it should feel like they're, they're living by a different playbook. It should feel like the world's taking different orders than we are. Because they are. You see, the world takes its orders from the prince of darkness. We take our orders from the king of kings. Of course we feel lost here. So, so point number one, the first thing we can learn, your name, I hope you get this ingrained in your bones, is that in Jesus we are elect exiles. That's who you are. L let me show you what that means for you in verse 3. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Okay, so, so why does your name matter? Well, let, let's imagine that my name was not Nate Hilgenkamp, but instead it was Nate Bezos. 
or, or Nate Musk or Nate Zuckerberg. If that was my name, what could you conclude about me? I'm rich. <laughs> That's right. You'd be able to conclude that I have access to all my dad has. And one day I'm going to receive an absolutely massive inheritance because, you see, your name means something. In, in, in this passage, in, in verse 3, it says that you've been given a new birth. And when you've been given a new birth, you've been born into a new family. When you've been given a new family, you've been given a new name. You see, our name isn't just Nate Hilgenkamp, elect exile, but it's now Nate Hilgenkamp, child of God. What does that mean? It means I've got access to all my father has, which is point number two. Second thing we can learn from this passage in Jesus, we are given an imperishable inheritance. So what does that mean? Let's talk about this for a minute. The text says we're receiving an imperishable inheritance. Do any of you remember NFTs? Yeah, they were, they were a big deal when we were all like bored at home during COVID. And uh, if you don't know what an NFT is, an NFT is like a screenshot of the internet that you can buy. And I know for you crypto bros, it's more than that, but it's not more than that. Um, <laughs> And let me, tell you about, let me tell you about one NFT. Here's a picture of one. This is a, an NFT uh, of, of the, the first ever tweet from Jack, the guy who, who founded Twitter. And uh, I just took a screenshot of this, but apparently someone else owns it. And they bought it in 2021 for $2.9 million. $2.9 million. A couple years later, uh, really not, not all that long ago, he, he put it up for sale and had the bidding at, for the auction start at $48 million. So the, the bidding went on and uh, at the conclusion of the bidding, the, the highest bid that he received was $280. Not, not, not $280 million. $280. You see, what he did with this investment is he poured $3 million into a depreciating asset. Almost as soon as he purchased this thing, this thing became worthless because this thing perished, spoiled, and faded. Now, can you even imagine making an investment like that? Of course you can. Because some of you are doing that right now. Not, maybe not with your finances. Maybe you haven't bought an, an, an NFT. But, but Scripture says that whenever you invest your life in this world, this world is going to leave you bankrupt. Your career is going to leave you empty. Your social status is going to leave you empty. Your net worth is going to leave you empty. It will perish, spoil, and fade but on the other hand, Scripture says here that our Heavenly Father has an inheritance for us that can either perish, spoil, or fade. That means it's not going anywhere. That means the economy can't touch it. That means your performance can't touch it because God is holding it in his hands. And there's going to be a day, either when Jesus comes back or you die and go be with him, and he's going to give you all that he has. And that's good news. And that should be a relief for us. But many times it's not. 
Like, you ever, you ever think about that? Like, why don't you think about that every single day? Like, if you knew that you had an inheritance coming that was $100 billion, wouldn't you not be as stressed about paying your rent this month? Like, if you knew what was coming, wouldn't you be a little bit less anxious, a little bit less stressed? And many times we're not, and I don't know. Maybe it's because you don't actually believe it. I know for many of us here in this room, we are Christians. We claim to be followers of Jesus. But, but let's just look at the text one more time. This is, this is what it says in verse 3. It says that the Christian is the one who has been given a new birth. You, you must be totally reborn. You're not an updated version of the old you. You're an alive version of the dead you. And then it says you've been given a new birth into a living hope. Now here, here's where we need to wake up. For many of us, we've been lulled to sleep, thinking we're Christians. Meanwhile, we put our hope into things that are dying. Or maybe for you, the thing that you hope more than anything else happens this year, like your deepest desire for this year, your hope is that this would be the year you get into a relationship. Or maybe for you, your hope is that one day you'd finally be an executive at your company. That's your hope. Or maybe for you, your hope is that one day you'd be able to afford that car or those clothes. And I just want you to know, if that's you, you have a dying hope, not a living hope. And if that's you, and if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, I just want to say that's confusing. Because if you are living this life for this life, it makes it look like you don't believe in the next life. Because you see, on the other hand, what this text says is it says that, that the Christian has a living hope. So, so what does that mean? That means you've placed your hope in something or someone that is alive and cannot die. Well, who would that be? The, the text says this, verse 3, you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That means you've not placed your hope in the things of this world. That means you've placed all your eggs in the basket of Jesus. You've placed all your hope in the fact that Jesus came and lived a life you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserve to die. And then he rose again so that death no longer has mastery over him and so that it might no longer have mastery over you. And friend, when you believe in that, God doesn't just raise Jesus from the dead, but he raises you from the dead. He, he, he brings you from death to life and you've been reborn, as the text says, into a new family where you've received a new name. And with this new name comes an inheritance. It comes all, it comes with all your father has. Well, what does he have? What did Jesus Christ accomplish on this earth? He defeated death so that he could have eternal life for all of us. That's what he has. And that's what he's eager to give you. That's your inheritance as a follower of Jesus. It's the second thing we can learn from this passage. Point number two, in Jesus, we have an imperishable inheritance. Now that's a large benefit. I wanna tell you another benefit we have as elect exiles. Let's read the end of verse four and then we're gonna read verse five. It says this. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, now this right here is one of the most important parts of, of Peter's teaching because he's saying we make it to our salvation not because of who we are, but because of who he is. 
Because if you've got your Bibles open, like, like, look at the text. What does it say? It says, we make it to the coming of our salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. How? By the shielding of God's power. It's not about your power. It's about his. And this is the third thing we can learn from this passage. Point number three, in Jesus we are shielded by God's power. Now, I think this is the best way I can describe it. This summer, our family went to Branson, Missouri. We got to spend a week at Canicut, and which is just a, a great ministry. And uh, as a part of that time at the family camp, we, uh, we got to go on the Lake Tanicoma, which is really more like a river. In fact, I got a picture of it here. I, I was on the boat with my wife and my, uh, at the time, like two-year-old daughter. And Branson's a weird place for so many reasons. And uh, one of those reasons is this lake. Because this lake pulls its water from another lake, lake uh, Table Rock Lake, and it pulls its water from, from the, the bottom of another lake. So this water is like always freezing. If you could actually put the picture up again, you can, there's, a, there's a fog on the lake at all times because in this picture it was really, really hot outside. It was like 95 degrees and humid, but, but the water was, I don't know, 35 degrees or something like that. And, and so there's always this fog on the water. So even though it's really, really hot outside, when you're on the water, it's actually really, really cold. And we'd been driving around on, on this boat for a while, and I don't know if it was a mile or, or so, and we were having a great time until we stopped having a great time because my two-year-old daughter lost her mind. And when a two-year-old loses their mind, like there's really no way of fixing it because she just kept going, Dad, I'm cold. I want to get off the boat. I want to get off the boat. Take me back. The wind's in my face, Dad. I'm cold. And so I'm like, okay, we got to get off this boat. But we got a ways to go. So I asked the driver if he could turn around and go back to camp. And he's like, yeah, nope, no problem. But it still was like a, a ways back. And she wasn't calming down. Because we kept driving. The wind's still in her face. And she just keeps going, Dad, I want to get off the boat. I'm so cold. Get me out of here. And, and so eventually, as, as her dad, I just I, I went over to her. I picked her up. And then I placed her in front of me and I put my back up against the wind. And over and over again for 20 minutes, I kept saying, JC, we're almost back. We're going to make it. Dad's going to keep you safe. And I did my best to, to block the wind. I just kept saying over and over again, JC, we're almost back. We're going to make it. Dad's going to keep you safe. You know, life's hard. I don't know what you've been through. I can tell you what I've been through. Uh, I could give you a number of examples, but just uh, about 13 months ago, my wife and I, we had a miscarriage, and it was so hard. And, and in that time in my life, it just felt like the winds of this world were blowing straight in my face. You want to know what else I felt? I felt my heavenly father pick me up, turn his back to the wind and say, Nate, we're going home. You're going to make it. Dad's going to keep you safe. I don't know what you've been through in your life. I bet you've been through some really hard things. But I just want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus, even in those moments when it feels like the wind is blowing at your face, your heavenly father is there picking you up, turning his back towards the wind and saying, son, Daughter, you're going to make it. We're headed back. Dad's going to keep you safe. 
And I know that tonight, I'm in Dallas, Texas. We're, we're in a room full of highly competent people. Like Dallas is filled with really gifted people, really successful people, really strong people. Like Dallas is all about what you can achieve. Like I've got to go achieve this in my career. I've got to go achieve this social status. I've got to go out and get what's mine by my own strength. Friend, I just want you to know there will be times in your life when the winds of this world will be stronger than you are and it will blow you onto your back and you won't have the strength to get up. The good news of scripture is you don't make it home on your own strength. You make it home by your father's shielding. And I just want you to know tonight, the lie of Dallas, Texas, is that you have to go out and, and make a name for yourself. You have to go out and prove yourself. The truth of scripture is you don't need to prove anything because your salvation is not dependent upon you. Your sanctification is not dependent upon you. Your stability is not dependent upon you. Your safety is not dependent upon you because your life is not about you. Because let me just show you what it says right here in the text over and over and over again. Listen again to the words used in this passage. It says in verse one, to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the spirit and in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. You see, all of that is describing God's preeminence and not your performance. And friend, this is the joy in following Jesus. Your name is not dependent upon what you do. You don't receive a name because you've earned it. You don't receive a name because you deserve it. Because in Jesus, you are not defined by your net worth. In Jesus, you are not defined by the car you drive. In Jesus, you are not defined by your physical appearance. In Jesus, you are not defined by your career. In Jesus, you're not defined by your social status. In Jesus, you're not defined by the clothes you wear. In Jesus, you're not defined by anyone else. In Jesus, you're not defined by your sin. In Jesus, you're not even defined by you because in Jesus, you're defined by Jesus. And scripture makes it very clear that he's declared you to be his son or daughter. And if that's who he says you are, then that's who you are. Not because you've earned it, because you deserve it, but because he's declared it to be true. And friend, I just want you to know, you don't have to go out and make a name for yourself because he's already given you one. So in summary, three things we can learn. Point number one, in Jesus, we are elect exiles. Point number two, in Jesus, we have an imperishable inheritance. And point number three, in Jesus, we are shielded by God's power. Now, this book, 1 Peter, was written by Peter. Maybe you don't know a whole lot about Peter, but let me just tell you a little bit about his life. Peter was not actually his, his name given to him at birth. His birth name was Simon. And he, he was named Simon and then lived his life, and then eventually Jesus came and found him and said, follow me. So Simon left everything, and he followed Jesus. And then after they started doing ministry for a while, Jesus pulled him aside, and he said, 
Simon, I'm going to rename you. Your, your name is no longer Simon, but your name is now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then there's a, a really important moment in the Gospels where, where Jesus was arrested and he's standing before Pontius Pilate. And uh, at that moment, Peter, perhaps his closest friend, was found right by a fire. And maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But when his best friend was arrested, when his best friend was about to die, he, he was there watching from a distance. And three separate times, people came up to him and said, hey, do you know him? And he said, no, I don't know that man. And then they said, man, it sure seems like you know him. You, you talk a lot like him. Do you know him? And he says, surely I do not know him. And then a, a third time, someone said, do you know him? I saw you with him. And he says, no, I don't know that man. And then, then the rooster crowed. Then Jesus left that place, was crucified, died, and resurrected. And then one of my favorite stories in the gospel. Jesus comes and finds his friend on the other side of the resurrection. And P Peter's going out fishing, and, and Jesus appears on, on the sand, and, and Peter leaves the boat to go and find Jesus. And, and I, I noticed this really, this moment for the first time, as I was rereading it, putting together this message, I, I've read this story a lot, but I was struck by one thing in this moment, this moment's typically called the restoration of Peter. And what, what Jesus does here is he approaches Peter and he says something interesting. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus once again says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then a third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And I was just struck by that moment because I was struck by the name that Jesus spoke over Peter. He called him Simon, his worldly name, the name that was given to him by his parents, not the name that was given to him by Jesus. And Jesus always does something for a reason. And I think perhaps Jesus was going to Peter that day and saying, who are you going to be? Because recently you've been living a whole lot like Simon. You've been living like the name this world has given you, but I've given you another name. So Simon, who are you going to be? Who are you going to listen to? Well, from that moment on, the rest of the Gospels and the book of Acts, Simon would go by the name Peter, and he'd live like he was Peter. I think you've got an opportunity tonight. Because I think your Heavenly Father may be asking you, who are you going to be? What name are you going to listen to? Because recently you've been a living a whole lot like that name this world has given you. But I've given you a different name. So son, daughter, who are you going to be? Are you going to continue to go by the name unenjoyable, unsuccessful, unwanted, broken, forgotten? Or are you going to go by the name that I've given you? Loved, chosen, seen, forgiven, accepted, which name are you going to go by? Who are you going to be?
Or maybe a better question is, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voices in this world? Or are you going to listen to the victorious voice of your heavenly father? Who are you going to listen to tonight? Let me pray that it be Jesus. Father, I am just so grateful that you know all of us by name. That that you know us even before we were formed in our mother's womb. And God, I just thank you that, that you have given us a name that we don't feel like we deserve. I know there's a, there's a lot of people in here tonight, watching tonight, and they feel covered in shame. They feel covered in sin. And they feel like they don't measure up to any name you've given them in scripture. Father, would you just remind us tonight that we don't earn our name, but we receive our name. Our name is not given to us because of what we've done in our life, but because of what Jesus did in his life. And he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die. And he rose again victoriously so that he could bestow on us a new name. So that he could bestow on us an imperishable inheritance. And so that you could block us, so you could shield us from the winds of this world that want to take us out. And God, I just pray for all of our, my friends here in this room. I pray that we'd make it home with you. I pray that every single day we wouldn't fall in love with the things of this world, but we'd fall in love with you. Not just having a mindset of, okay, I've got to choose Jesus. I've got to choose Jesus. I've got to choose Jesus. But instead having a mindset of, I cannot believe he's chosen me. And God, what we want to do tonight is we want to worship you like we've been forgiven. We want to worship you like we've been renamed. We, we want to worship you like we're alive because we are, because of what you've done. Because the only reason we've got hope tonight is because of one thing. It's because Jesus is alive and with us and for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, Porch, I know a lot of you have, have come in with a lot of different things. And I just want you to know we've got a team up front who are eager to, to talk to you and pray with you. But what we want to do now is we want to worship our risen king. So let's do that now.